come. Lord, we thank you for those that are here, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we love your word. And tonight we're looking at the book of Esther in regards to Purim, and also we're going to look at some other places in the Bible. But Lord, we just thank you for your word. We love you. And Lord, I pray tonight as we speak on, uh, preach the word, that you would speak through me everything that needs to be said, the parable of the seed and sower, that it will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, hearts and minds and lives, that even now the Holy Spirit is moving upon all of us and helping us to be good soil for the word of God, that our hearts and minds that we're locked in and focused to what God is saying. By the Holy Spirit, we're not distracted. Our minds aren't wondering. Things aren't distracting us. But the Holy Spirit helps us to get focused and locked in and in our eyes and ears to be anointed that we can see and hear things. Maybe we couldn't before, but the Holy Spirit gives us eyes and ears to be able to see. He has come as our teacher, our comforter. And Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit moving upon all those hearing this and that the, the Holy Spirit will water the seeds of the Word in, in all of our lives and cause those seeds to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Let the winds of your Spirit carry this out through the Internet to the nations of the world, that it will go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do as the Word promises. And we know Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we agree together as a corporate body, and we take authority over the enemy. Anything that would try to hinder this Word, from getting where it's supposed to be and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. In the name of Jesus, we bind you now. We command you to back off. And Lord, we thank you for your mighty angels just clearing that out and that you would come upon me and speak through me under an anointing and a boldness and that this will go forth. And we stand on the promise, as I've already stated, this will go forth and accomplish everything God intends it to do. It will not return void. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so I'm not going to go through the entire story of Esther. I'm assuming that people have read it, and I'm assuming that probably a lot of people have read it this week because of Purim. So I'm just going to give you a few quick things, and if you haven't read Esther yet, I really encourage you to do that. So a few things to keep in mind when you read the book of Esther. Number one, the king, King Xerxes, is a picture in type. So you know how there's a story but there's also like a metaphor. So there's symbolism in it. All right, well, the king is a picture and type of Christ. And Esther is a picture of like the bride of Christ that's approaching Christ as an intercessor. You see? And how many knows that whenever the bride of Christ comes before the Lord and as intercessors and the Lord hears and answers our prayers, that's an awesome thing. That can literally change nations. I don't have time to preach it. I wish I did, but I'm telling you, history is written by the intercessors. Remember that. Don't ever think, you know, we look at the presidents and kings and prime ministers and militaries. Let me tell you something. History is written and affected by intercessors. And when true intercessors pray and fast, which we're going to talk about tonight, and they really press in, I'm telling you, it pushes back Satan's plans, and it brings forth the plans of God. And just like in the story of Esther, it can affect nations. Think about it. Esther was used of God to affect two nations that the history, what could have gone down in history was a great genocide in Persia of the Jewish people. That could be in history books right now. But instead, Esther and the people of God that prayed and fasted changed history. 
And so their prayers, as, as she approached the king, God moved, and the nation of Israel and the nation of Persia, everything changed. And now we read in history books a different narrative. And it's because of intercessors. All right, so Esther went through a period. This is very important when you read the book of Esther. She was chosen, but she went through a period of purification. So they were taking Esther, these people that were attending her, and she was being washed in water, which is a picture and type of water immersion and like a deep consecration. And she was also having oil rubbed into her. And it specifically mentioned myrrh and spices, which sounds just like the anointing oil. Do you remember in, uh, under Moses, the anointing oil, if I remember right, was made of pure olive oil, but it was cassia calamus, um, cinnamon and myrrh. It was spices. And, and this was being poured on her and rubbed in. So she was being washed and anointed to be ready for her time to approach the king. So listen, there's something so powerful. River of Life, you understand this, that there is something about deeply consecrating our lives. And there's something about these times that we're about to go into right now, starting this Monday, we're gonna go through a couple weeks of prayer and fasting, which I'm gonna talk more about in a moment. And then at the end of that time, we're gonna come together and we're gonna take communion together in a special way because we just spent two weeks examining ourselves. We're fasting about needs, but we're also asking God to change us, to consecrate us, to show us things that we need to repent of. And God's gonna do a deep work in us. Then as we come together and we take communion together in a special way, we're gonna go through and anoint everybody with oil, just like you're reading here about Esther. My wife and I are gonna anoint you, and we're gonna believe God to consecrate you and then those that want to come, it's open to everybody that wants to come, we'll have a time of water immersion afterwards. And every time we've done this, every time, people have told me afterward, Pastor, I feel so different. It's a time, just like Esther, of deeply consecrating our lives, where the old pollution just gets washed off fresh, we're cleansed and we're anointed. And then we know that in the story, Haman, in Hebrew it's Haman, but Haman was a picture and type of the Antichrist. And he, the, the spirit of Antichrist, not just the physical man, but the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world, and the spirit of Antichrist is constantly at work trying to stop the, uh, the eternal purposes of God. It's an Antichrist spirit, really, that's behind the scenes trying to annihilate the Jews. And I'll tell you something, it's really interesting for those that understand these things, that right now, today, one of the nation of Israel's greatest enemies on the planet is Iran, and Iran is Persia. And I believe personally that the, in, in the book of Daniel, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel and he said, I was resisted by the prince of Persia, until Michael came and helped him out. I believe personally, it's just my opinion, the prince of Persia is a principality, it's a satanic principality, a fallen angel. I believe that it's the principal spirit behind Islam, which goes by the name of Allah. So anyway, it's an antichrist spirit. So Satan, one of the aspects of an antichrist spirit is still at work trying to destroy the nation of Israel, why? 
because it wants to stop Jesus Christ from coming to the world and sitting on the throne of his father David and reigning. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about. Satan is trying to stop the coming of the Lord. He's trying to stop the eternal purposes of God. He never will. And just like Haman in the story, Haman built these huge gallows to hang Mordecai on, and it ended up that he got hung on his own gallows. So the very thing that he planned, like demonic inspiration planned, it ended up backfiring on him. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says if Satan had known that by crucifying Christ, what would have happened, he wouldn't have done it. It's like the devil always ends up playing into the hand of God. And then we know that Haman's 10 sons were also hung on the gallows. Isn't it interesting that the Antichrist is going to have 10 principal kingdoms that align themselves with him, and then ultimately the last three and a half years of the tribulation will try to, once again, will try to annihilate the Jews and destroy the nation of Israel. So it's a picture and type of the Antichrist and his 10 kingdoms. And we know that Haman was a descendant of Amalek, which is really interesting because when you go back and study Amalek, Israel had many enemies, but Amalek was probably one of the most hated. To this day, um, people that, that write out Torah scrolls that are uh, trained to do it, they'll write out Amalek and then blot it out. And Amalek is, is very hated. And here's why. When Israel left Egypt and they were going through the wilderness, there were people that were maybe older or for whatever reason were injured or something, and they would kind of lag behind and Amalek would come in behind and pick off the weak, poor, and defenseless. And so God saw that, and God hated that. And so whenever the fullness of time came for God to release judgment against the nation of Amalek, it was at that time that Samuel was the prophet of the land, and he had anointed a new king, the first king, whose name was Saul. And Saul's main assignment through the prophet Samuel, was to go attack the nation of Amalek, and God wanted to avenge everything. And he said to Saul, he said, do not leave one human being or one animal alive. Annihilate them completely. Samuel, uh, Saul did not do it. He annihilated most of it, but he did not complete his mission. And for that reason of his rebellion, that was one of the main reasons God ripped the kingdom from him and gave it to David. But isn't it interesting, if Saul had done what he was supposed to do and completely eradicated Amalek from the earth, you, we may not have even had to deal with this situation because it was a descendant of the Amalekites, Haman, who raised up to destroy Israel in these days of Persia. Isn't that interesting? How many knows when God says to completely eradicate something from your life, he means it, and you better listen to him. Because if you annihilate it up to a point, but you leave a little something there, that may be the very thing of your downfall in the future. And I could go on and on about the story of Esther. We all love the story. You have somebody who was, came from such humble beginnings, and, and God raised this young lady up. She's a beautiful young lady, raised her up and put her uh, as the wife of the king, and she altered history. But I want to focus on fasting tonight because I believe this is the word of the Lord. 
And Esther was a very humble woman. So whenever you look at the story, Mordecai sent message to Esther and told her, said, now listen, don't think, you're a Jew, don't think that just because you're in the king's palace that this annihilation will escape you. He said, it'll come out that you're a Jew and you're going to be taken down with the rest of us. But he said, let me tell you, he said, you may have come to that place for such a time as this. He said, you better approach the king. And she said, well, I can't do that because it's against the law for me just to walk in there into this uh, inner chamber where, you know, they make decisions, et cetera, without being summoned. If I just walk in there, then they'll kill me. And Mordecai said, well, you better do it because if you don't, we're going to be destroyed, but it's going to find you too. And so here they are in dire situation. And Esther says, all right, tell the Jews among it, uh, Persia, tell them all to fast for three days. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything. Fast for three days and ask God to intervene. And she said, then I'll fast with you, and then I will go in before the king. So they fasted, and on the third day, she approached the king, and it was against protocol. It could have been a decision that cost her her life, but the king extended his scepter to her, which permitted her to come, and she found favor with him. And so the king said, Esther, what can I do for you? Up to even half the kingdom, what do you want? And he knew it had to be serious for her to approach him under those circumstances. And she said, would you come to a banquet and, and have a feast with me, and then I'll explain it to you. And at the banquet, she exposed Haman and his plot. The king was enraged, had Haman killed, and then released an edict that the Jews could defend themselves. It turned everything around. But I want you to notice that fasting changed the course of history. Please don't let this escape you tonight. I'm going to do my best to preach this as much as I can. But don't let this escape you that fasting changed the course of two nations. Don't let it escape your attention that in the days of Jonah, that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. This was a heathen capital city of the Assyrians. The Assyrians at this time of history, this is you know, a totally different time than this, but in the time that Jonah was the prophet, Assyria was a great enemy to Israel. And no doubt that Jonah would have hated the Assyrians because of what they were doing. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, their capital city. And I want you to go in there and preach to them that I am going to send judgment and I am going to destroy them if they don't repent. And Jonah thought to himself, hey, God's going to wipe them out? Great. So he says, I'm not going to go tell them to repent. And so Jonah turns around and goes the other way. You know the story. And God ends up having to send a big fish and teach him a serious lesson. But Jonah ended up going. But I want you to notice that even in a pagan, heathen society that worship idols, false gods, totally heathen. They were not God's people. Jonah walks in there, no doubt probably looked strange, having been spit up by fish. So he walks in there as a prophet. And let's not escape, don't let this escape you either, that there was such an anointing on Jonah that shook that region. But Jonah went in there and said, thus says the Lord, if you do not repent, that God will visit this place with great destruction. 
And you know what? All those Ninevites believed Jonah. What did they do? The king tears his garment and says, listen, here's what we're going to do. The entire region, we're all going to fast. We are going to humble ourselves before God, and we're going to ask him for forgiveness and mercy. And did you know that God heard that and did not destroy him? Don't let it escape you tonight that even the heathen prayed and fasted and it changed that entire city and region. Fasting is all about humbling ourselves. See, we could say, well, we have to learn the ways of God. We say, well, God wants us to humble ourselves. He doesn't want to have to humble us. He can, but he doesn't want to. He wants us to humble ourselves. So how is God's prescribed way to humble yourself? He gave it to us in fasting. That's his way. That's his choice. That's the way that you humble yourself before him is in prayer and fasting. And in biblical times, they would take off the comfortable garments they wore and they would wear sackcloth, which is like burlap, which was uncomfortable. And they would take the ashes because they all had to make fires to eat and everything. They would take the soot, the ash, and they would sprinkle it on themselves, get themselves dirty. And they would humble themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And they would get on their face and they would fast and ask God for mercy. And they would ask him to intervene in their situation. And God would look down and when he would see their humility and he would respond on their behalf. It's all about humility. So what is fasting? Well, if you'll follow me tonight, I'm going to share some things maybe you haven't thought about. I've preached on fasting before. This isn't a new subject, and I, I'll do my best to live a fasted life. I'd have, it's a part of my lifestyle, and I know that it is many of you as well. So what happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, think about what I'm saying. They physically ate food they were not supposed to right? So they ate something forbidden. What is fasting? It's literally the exact opposite. You don't eat what is permissible. Isn't that interesting? Fasting, by definition, is abstaining from food for a period of time for spiritual purposes. It is God's prescribed way in the Scriptures to humble yourself before him. And Jesus taught us when he was here, he didn't say, hey guys, if you ever do this, he didn't say that at all. He said, when you pray, he's expecting that we'll pray. He said, here's how you pray. He said, when you give, he expected it. He said, this is how you give. He gave instructions. And he said, when you fast, you do it this way. You don't do it to get the pat on the back from men, you do it in secret before the Lord. And isn't it interesting that he said this? Jesus said, the Father will see what you do in secret and he will reward you. Have you ever thought about the fact that there is a reward on the other side of fasting? But don't let that escape you. I'm saying some things quickly moving through them. I don't want that to just not be caught. There is a reward for fasting. So we know I already talked about Esther being cleansed and anointed, but fasting is what brought change. 
There's different types of fast I'm going to talk about here in a moment. And there's seasons. Let me give you one more thing to think about. There's seasons of serious prayer and fasting. There's times that God will put on your heart that you need to get very serious about prayer and fasting. And Jesus entered that. You know, here he is, 30 years old. It was the, the age that the priest would enter ministry. Jesus was 30, and now he's stepping into his role. And as he did, he goes to the River Jordan and the priesthood, whenever the high priest was going to pass his duties to the son and he was going to retire and his son take over, one, one of the things that had to be done was they were water immersed. This is really what was going on. Jesus went there as the, the son of David as a king, but when John, who was not only was John a prophet, if you study this out, and I don't have time to do this, so you're just going to take my word for it, but read Luke and read his genealogy. John was a direct descendant of Aaron. He was actually the rightful high priest of Israel, but because of political purposes, the Jews wanted to have favor with Rome. They put Caiaphas there, who was just a political figure. But the, John the Baptist was actually the true high priest in the eyes of God. And he also was a great prophet. And so when Jesus came, he came as the son of David. But now it was time for John to decrease so that Christ could increase. And so he comes to John the prophet, and John says, I'm not worthy to untie your sandal. And Jesus said, do this to fulfill righteousness. So John immerses him. He comes up. Jesus went down as the son of David, but he not only came up as the son of David, he came up as the high priest. And what John had passed to him. I also believe that that prophetic spirit of Elijah passed to him, and John basically passed the baton. And he said, now he must increase. Follow him. He's the Lamb of God. I was just the forerunner. My time is now to decrease. So Jesus, by the Spirit, was led into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. All he had was water. But Jesus went out there in this season of fasting. This was a time that God, by the Spirit, led him into a serious time of fasting. It was serious. It was desperate. Jesus was going to go through probably the highest level of spiritual warfare you can go through. He was directly attacked by Satan himself. And the way that Satan came to attack him was the same way that he tried to, that he was successful actually when he attacked Eve. He came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, I know that you're hungry. Why don't you turn that stone to bread and eat? And he's saying, if you're the son of God, why don't you prove something? Because I don't think you really are. See, he's trying to get Jesus to disobey. Jesus had heard from the father that he's supposed to be fasting. He was trying to get him to eat something he wasn't supposed to right then. Does this make sense? And he did the same thing to Eve. I can just imagine, because the Bible only gives us like a snapshot of it, but I can only imagine how that serpent with Satan inside of it was seducing Eve. And it doesn't that fruit look so good? I know you're hungry. You know he didn't come to Eve when she just ate. He went to Eve when she was hungry. Don't you know this, this looks so good? He did the same thing. But where Eve fell, Jesus overcame. 
And so in every way that Eve was deceived, in every way Satan tried the same thing with Jesus, but he overcame. So that was the, the lust of the flesh there. That was the hunger. And then he tried it with the lust of the eyes. He tried to show him the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all this if you worship me and all this. He went through the same thing. But Jesus was in fasting. And so he overcame the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He overcame all these things. Where he fell, he overcame. But he overcame during fasting. Let me tell you, when you go through seasons of spiritual warfare and you go through seasons of temptation, Fasting is a vital part of that that will help you to overcome warfare and help you to overcome temptation. You know why? Because it helps you die to your sinful nature, your flesh, and that your spirit inside you where the Holy Spirit dwells rises up in power, but your sinful nature is put down, you see. Do you remember when Jesus told those that were in the garden with him, he said, guys, you need to stop sleeping and pray with me because your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And what happened? Peter denied him. The others scattered. See, during a time of severe spiritual warfare that was coming, they actually, what would have been advantageous for them was to be in prayer and fasting. But instead, they were sleeping. So there's going to be seasons where God will call you to serious fasting, where you're going to set aside days, maybe even weeks, where you seek the Lord in fasting. Maybe just water, whatever God lays on your heart, but don't let the flesh determine what you do. You've got to be led by the Spirit. And I've had times where the Holy Spirit moved upon me in fasting where the Holy Spirit did this. All of a sudden, I just could not eat. I was not hungry, and I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, fast. He put me on it, and I would imagine that's what happened to Jesus during those 40 days. The Holy Spirit just put it on him, and his, his hunger left him, and he went into the wilderness and sought God. But at the end of those 40 days, he was hungry. But see, there's, I'm saying this for a reason. There are seasons of intense fasting that are, that are, it's for a period of time and then it's over. But let me bring something to your attention that I believe is equally important and in some ways may be more important. And that is a lifestyle of fasting. God put this on my heart many years ago. And I know that there are three people in the Bible, and since you guys know the Bible, I'm just going to talk about it, okay? We know the prophet Samuel is one of these, but I'm not going to use his example. I'm going to use John the Baptist, and I'm going to use Samson. So just follow me. Look this way. Don't worry about your notes. I'm just talking about this. Now, both John the Baptist and Samson, how many of you guys remember Samson? Muscle man, right? Actually, he was probably a normal-sized guy. That's what was so miraculous about it. Everybody thinks he looked like Hercules. I'm telling you, he was a normal guy. And the Holy Spirit would come upon him, and he'd wipe out, you know, thousands of people. But anyway, you had John the Baptist and Samson. Let's compare them. They both had a visitation. Their parents, rather, had a visitation from an angel. 
that announced their significant birth. Both of them. And they both were called to be Nazarites from the womb. Both of them. Now, what is a Nazarite? I can only say it in passing. It was a vow, and also it was a type of fast that you could go on for a period of time. There were three things about it. Number one, you had to stay away from corpses, dead bodies, because in the law of Moses, it defiled you. If you were around the dead, you had to water immerse. You had to go to the priest. They'd sprinkle you with this water that had the ashes of a red heifer in it. There had to be a cleansing. So you had to stay away from dead bodies. In other words, don't be defiled. Everything in the natural has now in, in Christ a spiritual application. How many knows, let's just spiritualize that now in Christ. How many of you guys knows that there's things in your past that defiled you, that Jesus delivered you from, and he crucified that. It's in your past. It's dead, right? How many knows he wants us to stay away from that dead body? Okay. All right. But this was part of it. You had to stay away from the dead. The second part was that you had to fast anything of the grape. So you couldn't eat grapes. You couldn't eat raisins. You couldn't drink the fruit of the vine. You had to stay away from it. You couldn't have it. So it was a fast. And then also, there was an aspect at the end of it, that once this time was over, you let your hair grow the entire time you were on it. So if you were on it for months, your hair would get quite long. Well, at the end of it, when they were done, they would take their animals and different things, they would take with them as an offering that the law prescribed. They would go to the temple with it, and they would tell the priest that met them there in the outer court, they say, here's my offering. I've been on a Nazarite vow, and now I'm done with it. And listen to what the priest would do. He would take a sharp razor, and he would shave their hair off their head completely. I'm talking about cue ball, okay? And then he would take their hair, and along with their offerings on the bronze altar, they'd offer the, the animals, etc. everything was on there. They would take their hair, and they would put it on the bronze altar, as an offering. It would go up before God. And God would honor that fast and that vow that they were on. And it was a powerful thing. It was something that God gave them. And he basically said, if you want to seek me in a special way, here's how you go about doing it. Keep yourself pure, stay away from the dead, grow your hair out, stay and fast this. So both John the Baptist and Samson were Nazarites from birth. And we see that John the Baptist kept himself so pure. He was a, a prophet of God and also in God's eyes, the high priest of Israel. But he obviously was a Nazarite. And so I have no doubt his hair had grown out. He stayed away from the fruit of the vine. He stayed away from dead bodies. He was a Nazarite, but also... The Bible says about him, he lived off locusts and honey. So locusts are like grasshoppers. So he was out there, and it was under the law of Moses, you could eat certain types of locusts. And so he was out there. Think about what I'm saying. Please don't let this escape you either. John could have lived differently than what he did. He lived off of locusts and wild honey. It was a partial fast. And that's how he lived, is in a partial fast. He kept his body under subjection. 
And because he lived a lifestyle of fasting, he was used so powerfully by God that out in the wilderness, mind you, that throngs of people would come to him to be baptized. He basically, John led a great sweeping revival in the nation of Israel. And Jesus said about John, there's none greater than him. He was the one that ended up passing the priesthood and the prophetic mantle to Christ. Think about what I'm saying. Great man of God, but his lifestyle was one of fasting. So he, John didn't just go off for a period and then that was it the rest of his life. He lived a lifestyle of fasting. Now, Samson, on the other hand, seemed to not really care at all about his Nazarite vow and his high calling. He was a man of the flesh and a man of lust. And we know that Samson, he ended up touching dead bodies. We know that also uh, he went and partied with the Philistines, which is horrible. And no doubt he drank of the fruit of the vine. But the last straw was when he was with Delilah and he told her, he allowed her to cut his hair and then he completely broke the vow and the Holy Spirit left him. So Samson was the opposite of a man of fasting. He was a man of lust. He was a man that went to partying and gluttony. And he was a man that loved strange flesh. He loved those foreign women. He was a man of lust. Do you see the difference? John had an extremely high calling and fulfilled everything he was called to do Samson had an extremely high calling and failed utterly. He did very little of success. What was the difference? I believe part of the difference, not, the, not all of it, but I believe part of it was that John was a man that lived a lifestyle of fasting and keeping his flesh brought under subjection. And think about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I beat my body down under subjection. I keep it down, lest after I have preached to other people, I myself end up becoming a castaway. Are we going to be a people of the Spirit, or are we going to be a people of the flesh? I've thought about this for many years, and I've preached sermons along these lines before, and I've I was talking to my wife about some of this, but I want you just to hear my heart, and then I'm going to give you a few things. So I believe here in America, as I've traveled to other nations and ministered and all that, I believe here in America that we probably don't realize this, but because of the prosperity of the land, I think that a lot of times Christians tend to be a little bit gluttonous and don't realize that we're even doing it. Is I've been to other nations and I've seen how things are. I think here in America, people eat bigger portions more frequently. It's, it's simply something that is so readily accessible. I mean, if you're driving down the road and you're hungry, I mean, all you got to do is just pull off and eat. You know, I mean, it's not so readily accessible when you go to certain nations that don't have all of that. They don't have the prosperity, you know, it, so here in America, also, the types of foods, there's such high calorie, there's so much carbs, fast foods, processed foods, so much sugar, 
And I think that without intentionally doing it, I think that because of a gluttonous thing that we don't even realize we're doing, I just want to say that, I think that it has affected us spiritually a little bit in this nation. I think that if people lived more of a a lifestyle of fasting, I think that people would be more discerning. They would have more of a powerful prayer life. There wouldn't be the worldliness you see in a lot of people that profess Christianity. I think that they would be in a place spiritually that many times they're not. I think it does affect us. And I think it has affected us. And so let me just give you a few things here. Benefits of fasting. This is the main thing. I gave you guys each a fast sheet um, already, but then I gave you this. Those that are watching online or whatever, we can make this accessible if you want it. Just let me know. But I gave you some things to pray about, and you'll notice number one on there is deep personal repentance. Now, just look this way because I don't want you looking at notes because I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. Now, during fasting, here's what's going to happen. Look this way and and hear my heart because I can't dwell on this. i got to go quick. You are made up of three. You're one person, obviously, but God made you as a trifle being, meaning this. You have a spirit in you, and your spirit is just like your physical body, but it's a spirit body. And then you also have a soul. Your soul is your mind and your emotions, your personality, the part of you that makes decisions. It's a, it, all the things you've learned in school, all the things you've learned in life, the way you think, the way you act, that's your soul, okay? And then you're wrapped in a physical body. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, they actually sinned with their body. They ate physically with their body, they ate something they weren't supposed to, and it went in their physical belly. So see, your physical body is under a curse thanks to Adam and Eve. And that means that you are aging. And eventually, should the Lord tarry, we're all going to go back to the dust from which we came. But your sin nature is in your flesh. It's not in your spirit, it's in your flesh. And your flesh craves things. And before Christ, you, had, you did not have the Holy Spirit living in your spirit. And so basically, you just lived according to your flesh. Whatever your flesh wanted, your flesh went and did. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, whatever you wanted, the pride of life, you lived according to to the passions and the lust of your flesh. And that's what got us all into trouble. But once you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit goes to live inside of your spirit. Your spirit comes alive. Now, all of a sudden, inside of you, there begins to be a hunger for the things of God. And all of a sudden, you start feeling bad. You may not even understand it because you had always talked that way. You always flew off the handle before. You always did this and that. But all of a sudden now, you feel on the inside, you feel guilty and convicted about it. And you're thinking, where did that come from? Why don't you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit in you saying, "Uh uh-uh. 
We're not doing that anymore. And all of a sudden, you, cha- you start changing from the inside out, but that's how it's got to be. So the Holy Spirit in you begins to help you go through a process of renewing your mind where you start thinking different and your emotions come under control. So basically, the life of God goes from your spirit and moves into your soul also. You begin to have a prospering soul. Does that make sense tonight? You start changing the way you think. You change the way you act, the way you treat people. Everything, the fruit of the Spirit starts coming up from your spirit out of your soul, and it causes now your physical body to change. Why? Because now your physical body doesn't go places it used to go. Your physical body doesn't do things that it used to do. So as a Christian, we've got to walk in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And fasting helps us to bring our bodies down under subjection that we can walk in the Spirit. Okay. So when you're, when you're a sinner and you don't know the Lord, your flesh is king, your soul is the servant of the flesh, and your spirit is dead. But once you're born again and the life of God goes into your spirit, now God wants your spirit to be king, your soul to be servant, and your body to be the slave that is brought under subjection, okay? Okay, so what God will do during times of fasting, if you ask him, because see, your flesh is being brought down and your spirit is emerging strong. That's why whenever they came to Jesus, remember he was ministering to that woman in Samaria at the well, Jesus, knowing all things, would have known that here he is talking to this woman at the well, but Jesus knew that in the future that an evangelist named Philip was going to end up finding his way in there and was going to see a great revival in Samaria, so much so that so many people got saved, they sent for Peter and John to come and lay hands on them. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Even Simon the sorcerer got saved. So Jesus was actually going to Samaria to kind of prepare things, right? And so the disciples, Jesus was fasting again. And the disciples go to Jesus and say, Lord, you need to eat something. I can just hear him. You're looking pale. You're looking peaked. <laughs> You're not looking too good. You need to eat. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? Guys, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Quit worrying about me. I have food to eat you do not, you do not understand. He's saying, my flesh is coming down and I'm in tune with the Father. What he says, I speak. What he does, I see him doing, I do. I'm in tune with him. I'm fasting right now. I have spiritual food to eat that you don't understand. I'm on assignment. I'm here to minister to this woman at this well. Leave me alone. And so when you fast, the first thing that needs to be on all of our hearts is, Lord, please show me what I need to repent of and change. Because if you pray that way and you fast, God will allow things to surface and you'll begin to see things that you didn't even realize were there. And here's what I've learned from fasting I think is amazing. See, you knew in the past that certain things weren't right and you saw it come up in your life. And so you said, Lord, please forgive me for this. I repent. And because of that, it, it was cleared, 
and you were doing okay in that area. But see, here's the thing. When the pressures of life would come, when spiritual warfare would come, and you came under satanic attack or whatever, it's like that stuff would start coming up again. And you would say, where'd that come from? I've prayed about that. And then you'd have to rebuke the enemy, and he would go drive away, and then you say, Lord, forgive me. I prayed about this. I don't know why this is coming up again. Forgive me. And it would kind of go back down. And you'd feel like, okay, I'm good. But here's what fasting will do. Fasting will cause that to come up, and you say, Lord, please change me and cleanse me and take that out of me, and it's going to be deeply taken out. So the next time the devil shows up, it doesn't rise up again. It's deeply cleaned out. You know, Catherine Coleman used to pray, Lord, reach down in me and take everything out by the roots and kill it. That's not of you. That's what happens in fasting. She was a woman of the Spirit. She understood these things. The Lord will reach down in and take it out by the roots. And the devil will come up, the satanic forces will come against you and think, ah, oh, we've always had this area, hit him here, and all of a sudden, it doesn't work anymore. It's gone. And so here's some things to pray about on your fast. Number one on here is deep personal repentance, okay? But just look this way. Idols of the heart. Even things that used to be idols of the heart, make sure there's still not a residue still in there. It may come up when you fast. You'll find things come up. Do you know what gold we're finding in the fire? Do you know what that means? Because the Bible talks about like gold. He wants us to be like gold refined in the fire. Here's what happens with gold refined in the fire. God takes gold, or I'm speaking symbolically, puts it in the fires of trials, tribulations, difficulties, all of that. And when you put gold in the fire and it melts and it becomes liquid, all the impurities float up to the top. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. The pressures of life, spiritual warfare, stress, causes these things to come up. Where did that come from? It was always in there. You just didn't know it was in there. Fasting will help that stuff to come up so that it can be cleared out. So what they do is they put gold in the fire, the impurities come up, then they take some kind of a scoop to scoop all those impurities out, and then they let it cool. Then they put gold back in the fire again. Any more impurities come up, they skim it out, and they keep doing that till the gold is pure. During fasting, God will help you, not humiliate you, but you watch what I'm saying. If you'll ask him, Lord, let everything come up that needs to come up and out of me. God will allow things to surface. So idols of the heart, I mean, it could be things like um, making money, material things, relational issues. It could be any, literally anything. Even things that go back to your past that you've asked God to forgive you, but there's still kind of that residue. And you'll find that when you fast, it'll come up. Also, are there areas of your life that's been prideful? Are you somebody that it's hard to ask forgiveness? Slow to repent, slow to forgive others? You know, that's a lot of times that's pride. And so pride, the second one is being easily, or third one, easily offended. Are you somebody that's got a chip on your shoulder? And maybe it's because you've been hurt. How many knows that we've all been through some stuff? 
And sometimes when we've been abused or through things in a certain area, we're kind of sensitive there. Well, God wants to heal that so we're not so sensitive there. Have you been somebody that's rebellious? And let me warn you about rebellion. And I say this in love, but if, if somebody's been a rebellious person that doesn't like to submit to authority, you don't like to be told what to do, I'm just telling you that God dealt with that in heaven with Lucifer. He dealt with that in the Garden of Eden. He's dealt with that now for 6,000 years in the world. And rebellion's not going to be in heaven with him again. He's not letting it back in. I'm just telling you. So make sure that you really repent of rebellion. Also, have you been somebody that's stubborn, slow to listen, slow to change? <laughs> I don't want to be somebody God has to keep beating over the head. I just want him just to tell me one time, and that's good. Have you been somebody that's real fearful or controlling? Have you been somebody that has lustful eyes? Not just sexually. But see, the children of Israel were out in the wilderness, and what happened? They were saying, man, I miss the onions and the leeks and the garlic and stuff back in Egypt. Who would miss that, by the way? But anyway, they were like, I miss all that, the flesh pots and all and so, you know what they were doing? They were lusting after that stuff. And so God got tired of hearing it, said, I'll give you quail till it comes out your nose. And so he sends all this quail, and they, you know what? They, they were so lusting after that meat, they went and started picking out on it, and God killed a bunch of them. So it's not just sexual lust, it's lust after things. Some people have lust after alcohol. Some people have lust like a gluttony about food. It's lusts in life. And, of course, sexual lust is in here. But is there a lust regarding money and materialism? Some people really have an issue with money and being materialistic. They're not thankful and content with what they have. Another one is lust for power. You know, I was listening to this show one time a while back where they were describing people that were real narcissistic and they had become like um, people in society that were sociopaths and things like that. And they were talking about this lust for power over people. And at some point in time, they started talking about people that their lust for power drove them to being over nations as some kind of leaders like uh, Saddam Hussein or something. And um, anyway, I'm just going to drop that right there, and you just remember that. There's a narcissistic lust for power that you see sometimes in politicians that corrupt them into turning into something. Anyway, I don't have to say much. You know what I'm talking about. So also, is there still some unforgiveness and bitterness, anger and hatred in there? Are you somebody that has held grudges and doesn't just let things go? Eventually, you're going to get them back, you know. That's not good. That's not forgiveness. Also, has there been, have you been somebody that's been unstable? You've been kind of up and down, in and out. You see other people that are on fire for God and being really touched by God, and you see their walk, and it's different. In yourself, you don't seem to be there. Or you've been up and down, kind of backsliding, in church, out, unstable. Fasting will bring you into revival and bring stability. Also, stubborn addictions to things. It can be addictions that are physical addictions like to drugs and alcohol, but it could be psychological addictions like to pornography or something. 
Fasting breaks the power of addiction. And finally, if you've been somebody that has Jezebel and they have tendencies, on and on. You get the idea. But everybody knows your sin. You know your own sinful past. You know your own weaknesses. You know when you've been through dark, difficult times how you responded. Were you somebody that had a tendency to be depressed and then turn to alcohol? Was that how you used to handle it? You see, a fasting will help break the power of depression and break the power of alcohol. So that now, when you go through difficult times, you're a different person. And so you say, I used to go into depression, but now I'm not going to do that. I'm going to praise God through it, even though it's hard. And you're different. There's something in you now that's different. And that power that that used to have over you about something like alcohol or something, it doesn't have that pull on you it used to have. That's gone. Fasting will break the power of it. So when you prepare to fast during a fast and then how to end a fast, let me give you a couple quick things as I close. Here's some different types of fasts in the Bible. In the days of Esther that we already talked about, they fasted for three days. No food, no water, nothing. Three days. You can't go more than three days without water. But it was a time of crisis. How many knows there's times when it's life-threatening? You know, I've, I've heard so many testimonies and seen things through the years about maybe somebody getting a tragic phone call in the middle of the night that their child had been in a car accident and were teetering between life and death or on life support. All of a sudden, bam, they're in fasting. They don't eat or drink for three days crisis. They're believing God for supernatural intervention. Number two is the Daniel fast. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had understood through the prophet Jeremiah, who had previously passed on, but his writings Daniel knew, that Israel was only supposed to be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and the 70 years were up. And so Daniel was saying, God, you've got to intervene. We're all entrenched. We've got our roots down here outside of the nation of Israel. How are we going to get back? And so Daniel began a partial fast for 21 days where he ate no meat, he ate no sweets, no fruit of the vine. So you see that kind of that Nazarite vow there. And he didn't use lotions on his body. He had to probably go to work. And so in this time, he didn't want to put on sackcloth and ashes because he had to go to before the king. It said, so he just didn't use lotions. He wanted to make his flesh uncomfortable. And he was humbling himself. Even though he still ate some fruits and vegetables, it was a partial fast. And let me say something about prayer and fasting. You cannot give up because Daniel prayed and fasted. And then when the angel came, the angel told Daniel, on day one, you were heard. And I was sent, but I was, I was detained. If Daniel had gave up and quit praying around day 13, 
day 16 said, well, I guess God's not going to answer. It could have stopped that process. I wonder how many times, see, this is what people need to understand about prayer. People pray about something one day, and then they think, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and it's going to be different, and it's not, and they get discouraged. See, how silly would it be for a farmer to go out, and he plows the ground? So you see the ruts in the ground. He goes out there with seed, and he's planting the seed, and he covers up the seed, and then he stands there with his arms folded and goes, I'm, I've got to have my grain and my vegetables by the time I get home. So, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? How ridiculous would it be for that farmer to be standing on top of seed that just got planted thinking, right now, I'm going to take home fruits and vegetables and grain and corn and wheat and all that. It doesn't work like that. How many knows you plant the seed you have to water the seed, and then you've got to wait for the seed to produce the harvest. Of So that's what Charles Finney says, that revival's like that. You pray, and you believe, and then if you have faith, eventually it will come up. There's a sowing, and then there is a reaping that happens. So don't ever give up in prayer, because if you do, here's what a lot of people do. People plant seed, and they start watering it, and you don't see the seed under the ground. But that seed is actually cracked open. Roots are going down. You don't see it down there. But people many times, because they don't see anything happening, they start acting like this. Well, I, got, I guess God didn't hear me. I guess God's not going to do it. And they start speaking that. And they're saying, they give up their faith, they start speaking negative, and so what happens to that poor little seed in there is those little roots start drying up and withering. I'll tell you how you're going to get answered prayers. You plant the seed, and then you start watering it with praise and faith. You're saying, Lord, I may not see it, but you are moving and I know that you've heard me, and I know that you're doing it. And that's what Daniel did. He stayed with it. He kept praying. He kept fasting. He kept believing. He had to believe or he wouldn't have been doing the prayer and fasting. He prayed. He fasted. He believed. And you know what was happening? The seed was growing and growing and growing. And so it kept the forward momentum going of that angel coming. You see what I'm saying? You cannot stop. You can't speak death. You can't speak negativity. You've got to keep moving in faith. Some things happen, you know, in a, relative, a relatively quick amount of time, but some things seem to take years before you see them come to fruition. I remember a story one time Derek Prince told, and it always really touched my heart. I never forgot this story, and I think it'll do that for you too. He, he was going back through some old things that he had jotted down that he found or whatever from years gone by. He went through some old papers, some old journals, and he was looking at things where back many years ago, he had done some prayer and fasting. And he wrote down on there what he wanted God to do. And one of the things he prayed for was that his mother would get saved. And to be honest, once he prayed about it and fasted about it, he gave it to God, and he kind of forgot about the fast because it had been so many years later. But did you know, right before his mother died, that she did give her life to the Lord 
and she went to be with the Lord. And he remembered that he had prayed and fasted all those years, many years back. And it touched his heart when he went back and found it in a journal from many years ago that on that day, uh, that time period was when he fasted and prayed about it. He planted it in the ground. He watered it in faith. And eventually it came up, you see. So Daniel, if he had given up, I don't believe that that angel would have got to him. He had to stay in faith. There's also... That's a 21-day fast, okay, for breakthrough. So when you see Daniel's fast, what happened? Great revelation came. That angel came, brought him great revelation. And also, that brought great victory in war. And then the one-day fast, from morning to evening, or actually, I'm sorry, a 24-hour period, the one-day fast, no eating, no drinking for 24 hours, Every Yom Kippur, once a year, God demanded the nation of Israel to fast for a 24-hour period. And so it was so serious that God told the nation of Israel, if you don't do that, you'll be cut off from among my people. And so God gave them once a year a required 24-hour period fast. Then you see, and that's for personal spiritual examination and growth. Then you see the morning to evening fast, which is what most of us are doing with the Watchmen program. So morning to evening fast for victory. In the book of Judges, I'm just tell the story real quick. The nation of Israel had to attack Benjamin because of sin. It was required under the law of Moses that if a city or whatever got into sin, that they had to destroy the city. And so Benjamin had gotten into sin, serious sin, didn't repent, wouldn't deal with it. So the other tribes had to attack them. And Benjamin actually defeated them two times. And so the third time they were going to go up against them, they fasted from morning to evening and asked God to intervene. And God spoke to them and said, go, I will give them into your hand tomorrow. Fasting broke through. And then the next day they won. So let me tell you, the morning to evening fast, excuse me, is a powerful fast for victory in war. That's why I asked the watchman if we could. Mine's on Monday. Many of you have another day. But we have a day where we fast from morning to evening. And I believe that as we do that, because that's what Sergio Scataglini told me when he was here. It's kind of humorous. He's saying some of the things that once a month prayer and stuff, he said, basically, all that that's going to do is just tick off the enemy and invite warfare <laughs> So he's, he said, you need to do something. He's a lot of wisdom, a lot of discernment. He said, you need to do something like every day is hammering the enemy back. So that's when God gave me the idea that we needed to have something every day. But how many knows that not one person can do that? And so as we all come together and if somebody is, is every day of the week is covered in prayer and fasting and we have a sheet that we're all agreeing on, that's giving victory in war, Okay. Then a fast to avoid judgment. This is something about fasting too. The prophet Elijah told Ahab, basically, God says you're a dead man and your whole household. And so Ahab, listen to this, Ahab, which the Bible says about Ahab, there was nobody more wicked than Ahab. <laughs> Go read this for yourself. The Bible says nobody had sold themselves to wickedness like Ahab. Everything he did 
was wrong, okay? And so the prophet came to him and said, Ahab, God's going to kill you. He's going to kill your family. He's going to annihilate all of you and start over with someone else. Anyway, so listen to what Ahab does. Ahab took it serious. And he goes, he puts on sackcloth and ashes and humbled himself in prayer and fasting. And think about what I'm saying. Don't let this escape you. Here is a wicked man who the Bible said nobody had sold themselves to wickedness like this man who the prophet said was going to be judged by God. And he humbled himself in prayer and fasting. Everybody say prayer and fasting. He didn't just pray. He fasted. He put on sackcloth and ashes. He humbled himself down to the dirt. And in that place of prayer and fasting, God appeared to Elijah. And he said, Elijah, have you seen the way Ahab has humbled himself before me? He said, because he's humbled himself, I will not do this in his lifetime, so he has to see it. I'll still do it, but it won't be where it's before him. He said, so Elijah told him, isn't that something? That even somebody that wicked found favor with God through prayer and fasting because he humbled himself, okay? So there's a fast to avoid judgment, like Ahab. There's a fast for deliverance. How many knows when, you remember the story? Jesus came down, I believe, from the Mount of Transfiguration, if I remember it right, and his, there were some disciples of his down there that there was a man who had a son who was demon-possessed. And this son, the demon in the son would cause him to go into probably like a seizure and would throw him into the fire or throw him into a body of water trying to kill him. And so that the father probably always had to really keep an eye on him or have other people keep an eye on him. And he was desperate, so he goes to Jesus' ministry. And some of Jesus' disciples couldn't get this demon out of this guy. And Jesus comes down, and the father says to him, please have mercy on my son, and Jesus cast the demon out. And so his disciples ask him, you know, you can just imagine the conversation. How come we couldn't do it, Lord? You know, and Jesus says, these kind only come out but by prayer and fasting. There are certain demonic spirits that have such deep roots and they're so entrenched and they're so stubborn. And let me tell you, please hear me tonight. I pray the Holy Spirit help us to really get this information. Because if you haven't heard sermons on this, a lot of this may be new. But Lord, by your Spirit, help us to get this tonight. So if you're dealing many times with stubborn, chronic sickness or something, I'm telling you by experience in the ministry over 20 years of praying with people, I'm telling you that a lot of times, not 100%, but probably at least 80%, maybe 90 most of the time, if it's chronic and it's stubborn, it won't budge. You're dealing with a spirit of infirmity. You're not dealing with the natural sickness. You're dealing with a spirit. And if it's, if it's something that's an incurable disease, especially something that would lead to death, you're probably dealing with a spirit of death. Remember that. And so this spirit very well could have been a spirit of death because it was trying to kill him. And so Jesus said it only comes out but by prayer and fasting. So in other words, you prayed, but you didn't fast. Fasting will bring deliverance 
from stubborn spirits that are deeply entrenched in there. I know that many times people are praying about healing and they wonder, why have I not got a breakthrough? It might be because you need to fast. All right, the last couple things, and we'll close this out. Fast for healing, Isaiah 58, 8. If you read Isaiah 58, that is the passage for living in perpetual revival. How many want to live in continual revival? Isaiah 58 shows us to keep repentant of our sin, to treat people with love and kindness, to be a giver to the poor, and to live a life of prayer and fasting. And the promises are, if you fast that way, he said, you'll call unto me and I will answer you. You'll cry out and I'll say, I'm here, meaning his nearness. Your light will break forth like the dawn. That's his glorious presence in your life. And your healing will quickly appear. So if you need healing or you need deliverance, many times fasting will bring it about. Fasting for ministry, direction, and calling. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Remember how in Antioch, that church, there were prophets and teachers and those that were there that they set apart a season of prayer and fasting and ministering unto the Lord. And in that prayer and fast, the Holy Spirit said unto those that were there, set apart Paul and Barnabas unto me for the work to which I've called them. And they laid hands on them and Paul and Barnabas went out. And because of that season of prayer and fasting in that church, the ministry of the apostle Paul was set in motion, which literally took it to the Gentiles. Isn't that awesome? It was birthed in a church where they were praying and fasting. Everywhere Paul went, where a church was planted, a harvest of souls, revival broke out, healings, all of that is traced back to a church in prayer and fasting. Jesus is 40 days of water only for dominion. Matthew 4, 1 through 2. We know that Elijah fasted 40 days, but it was supernatural. And we know that uh, Moses fasted 40 days without food or water. You can't do that. Moses was on the mountain with God in God's glorious presence, basically right there in the manifest presence of God. And Moses fasted 40 days, comes back down, deals with sin, goes back up for another 40 days. You can't do that. It's supernatural. Then there's the Nazarite vow and fast, which is a partial fast. Here's the last couple ones, a national fast to avert judgment and see revival, like I mentioned Nineveh. Did you know, and I mentioned this before, but not in the recording, that in 18, I think 64, but not, if I'm not mistaken, that Abraham Lincoln, with the Senate approving it and setting it forth, called for a national day of prayer and fasting to end our civil war. And after the nation humbled themselves, they didn't do it, to whatever God you serve or whatever good vibes you want to... They were saying, no, we're going to humble ourselves in humiliation and prayer and fasting to the God of the Bible. And we're going to ask him to intervene because here we are in this bloody civil war and we need God to intervene. Can you believe the president of the United States of America and the Senate approved that and set it forth in writing as a proclamation throughout the nation and people responded, and they prayed and fasted. They didn't want to see any more of their loved ones dying. They wanted it to end, and God responded a couple months later with the Battle of Gettysburg, which turned the tide, 
and the war began to diminish. Isn't that something? So prayer and fasting can avert national judgment. And then a solemn assembly. This can be for a nation. A solemn assembly can be for an entire church. But this is where the leaders gather everybody together and they seek the Lord corporately in prayer and fasting, which is what I'm basically doing over the next couple of weeks. I'm saying let's gather the elders, let's gather everybody together as a church, and let's have a solemn assembly for the next couple of weeks where we humble ourselves in prayer and fasting. And you know what God said he would do? In Joel chapter 1, they were, the nation of Israel was coming under an invading military force that was coming in, wiping out their crops, their cattle, was killing a lot of people. It was a devourer. And Joel said, if you will blow the trumpet in Zion, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders, have everybody pray and fast. Everybody say fast, fast. As everybody prayed and fasted, here's what God said he would do in Joel chapter two. He said, if you'll do that, he said, you do your part, here's what I'll do. I'll drive away that northern army for you. He said, then I will cause the former and latter rains to come back on the land again. I will cause the grain, new wine, and oil to come, the prosperity, and I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. How many feel that there's things the locusts have eaten in your past? And the Lord said, and, and then he said, and I will pour out my spirit. If I believe that if a church would call people together in humiliation, prayer, and fasting, and will humble themselves to the dirt and say, Lord, forgive us for any of our sins. Show us anything not right with you. And we're seeking you in prayer and fasting. I believe this principle applies. God will rebuke the enemy that's been against you. He will pour out his spirit and he'll begin to restore things. Amen? So just a couple quick scriptures is this. It beats your body down. Isaiah 7, 15, when it talks about Jesus... It was a prophecy about the Messiah who would come one day. It said about Jesus, he would eat curds or butter. It's butter and honey. At the time, he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. So it prophesied about Jesus that he would be a person of fasting. Isn't that something? The Son of God fasted. God in the flesh fasted. Isn't that awesome? Matthew 6, 17 through 18, Jesus said, my Father in heaven will see your prayers and your fasting, and he will reward you. There is a reward. And so Isaiah 58, as I mentioned earlier, if we'll repent of our evil ways and mix this, what, humiliating ourselves, humbling ourselves, prayer, fasting, giving to the poor, he says, I will answer you. I'll send you my nearness. The glory will come. Strengthen health, and you'll be restored. Here's something, it's mentioned twice in Joel, I'll restore the years. Isaiah 58 says, if you'll do my prescribed way of fasting, where you repent of your evil ways, you give to the poor, you do it the right way, he said, Look, listen to this. He said, I will cause you to be the people that repair the, the breach in the wall. You will build up age-old foundations that basically the devil tore down those things. You'll rebuild them. He said, you'll restore streets with dwelling. You know what revival is? It's great restoration. It really is. Think about it. 
It's God restoring back to the church his presence and power, which yields a harvest of souls, heals the sick, delivers the captives. It's a great move of an outpouring of the Spirit, but restoration. In Isaiah 58, he says, if you'll fast the way I say, you will be a people that are restorers. How many want to see in Dallas the things the devil has torn down, restored back again? It's going to come through prayer and fasting. This is the last thing. So how do we fast? Number one, be led by the Spirit and not your flesh. The Holy Spirit may be saying, drink water for three days and that's it. But your flesh says, no, we're not going to do that. And so here's what you do. You say, well, Lord, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to eat popcorn for three days, you know. You have to be led by the Spirit, not your flesh. Your flesh don't want to fast, but that's how you humble yourself. The second thing is your motives need to be very pure. Why are you fasting? If you're fasting, and I'm being sincere, if you're fasting, but really you're just wanting to lose weight, you forget about getting answered prayers. Your answer prayer is you lost weight. <laughs> you don't eat, you're going to lose some weight. But that's not a healthy way to do it because you're just going to gain it back. So fasting, your motives need to be pure. Why are you fasting? Are you doing it to be seen by men so they go, ooh, he's so spiritual? Jesus said to seek the Lord in private about these things. Anoint your head with oil. Don't let people know what you're doing. Don't try to impress men. Make sure your motives are right. Number three, don't commit for a certain period of time. Don't go, let me, I'm just giving you some pastoral advice here. Don't go into it saying, Lord, I'm just going to drink water for 21 days. Well, on day 17, you may have got the breakthrough. Now you done told the Lord you're going 21 days, so you're stuck. So don't do that. What I do is go into it for maybe three or four days, water only, and then feel it out. You'll know because you're sensitive then. Feel it out. Say, Lord, do you want me to keep going like this, or do you want me to go more of a partial fast now? And the Lord will fill it out. Just take it day by day. But the important thing is, is that you are seeking the Lord in prayer and fasting and humbling yourselves. And everybody say this, humble. That's the key. David Hogan is a great man of prayer and fasting, and he's also seen over 400 people in his ministry raised from the dead. And just about every type of creative miracle you can imagine, he's down in the jungles of Mexico among the, the descendants of the Aztec, Mayan, Incan Indians, and they've seen the ma ma most amazing miracles you could imagine. It's things that in America they probably won't believe, to be honest with you. But he's seen them. Why? Because there are people of prayer and fasting. But he said this. He said, if I can humble my body in fasting and humble my soul in prayer, there's nothing that God won't do. Think about that. This isn't trying to twist God's arm for something you want. He's talking about God wants to save those lost people. God wants to heal that person. You see what I'm saying? If I'll humble my body in fasting and my soul in prayer, there's nothing that God won't do. And the last couple things is this. During a fast, expect to be tired and weak. Don't do a lot of strenuous work. So if you're somebody that has to lift a lot of things and work hard, 
you need to ask the Lord about what he would have you do because you may not need to do just a water fast. You may need to do a partial fast. So when you're done fasting and you haven't eaten for several days, don't come off of it eating a big bowl of spicy chili because I promise you, you will wish that you were never born. Let me tell you a story. So I remember <laughs> David Hogan told this story, and he's trying to be serious, but I was having a really hard time not laughing. He was saying, I was on this 21-day fast. I was at this church ministry. He said, these ladies were back there in the kitchen. And he said, I started smelling something. And he said, they had made the most amazing chili known to man. He said, I was smelling it the whole time I was preaching. And he had been on extended fast. And so he said, Lord, I'm done fasting. And so he went in there, and he, like, got a big bowl of chili, wolfed it down, but he said that he rolled around on the floor for a couple hours in excruciating pain, thought he was going to die. So let me just give you some advice. It's all learned from Brother David, and let's not do that. So how do you come off of a fast? You need, if it's really long especially, you need to first maybe drink juices. Then you need to eat some gentle food, like maybe oatmeal. So maybe day one, you drink juices or maybe like a health shake, something like that. Day two, you're eating things like oatmeal and really soft, gentle stuff like scrambled eggs, okay? And then day three, you can start eating a little bit more solid food, but you need to work up to it. Trust me. I've, I've experienced some things myself. Trust me. You want to ease into it, all right? Um, And so that's basically, so let me just give you this recommended reading. And I have a couple of books here that if you want to borrow them. The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting by Franklin Hall was written in the 30s. And Lou Engle kind of resurrected it in this generation. And people have been reading it again. We need prayer and fasting. But that basically, in my opinion, broke open the great revivals of the 40s and 50s. They read that book. And they were people of prayer and fasting. William Branham, Oral Roberts, A.A. Allen, Jack Coe, all those people that saw great healings and miracles were people of fasting. Remember, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness in fasting. But when he came back out, the Bible says he came in the power of the Holy Spirit and demons fled and sickness died. So it unlocks power through you, fasting, okay? And then there's a book that's pretty good. It's been a blessing to me called Destroying the Works of Witchcraft Through Prayer and Fasting by Ruth Brown. But Esther called a fast, and it changed the course of history affecting nations. Isn't that awesome? Nations are affected. The nation of America during the days of Abraham Lincoln was affected because of a national fast. And let me read this last thing. It's a testimony out of the Atomic Power Prayer and Fasting. Now, I close with this story. There's a man named Charlie Wilson. So he said this, Brother Hall would go and preach places and call them to extended fast. They would see some of the most amazing things. But listen to this testimony of this guy. He said, on the 31st day of December, 1945, after hearing Reverend Hall give some enlightening teaching on fasting, I started a consecrated fast in my own life. He said, I partook of no food during the entire fast for 14 days. Water was taken for the purpose of cleaning out my system. I was a very heavy smoker. 
And he said, it seemed impossible to give it up. But on the third day of the fast, I no longer had any desire for smoking. It broke the addiction just on day three. Then he said, on the fourth day of the fast, hunger left me entirely. And I forgot to mention that. Once you get past day three or four, it's smooth sailing, okay? So just ask the Lord, Lord, help steal my hunger. Help me to get past day three or four. Because then after that, your stomach goes to sleep. You're not really hungry anymore. So he said, a little later, all the weakness left. And to my surprise, I began feeling better and stronger day by day. I could pray more earnestly. How many want to have a deeper prayer life? And with greater results. Several days later, I re- let's listen to this. I received the glorious baptism in the Holy Ghost. I kept busy with my work, which was not heavy. The fasting did not bother me much. What Brother Hall tells you about fasting is true. In our new spiritual consciousness, our eyes are open to discern the true nature of our formal natural environment. And it worked out just the way he said in my life. It was a glorious experience. When I began the fast, I weighed 140 pounds. This was 29 pounds underweight. At the conclusion of the fast, 14 days later, I lost 16 pounds because he didn't eat for 14 days. For I weighed 124 pounds. But 60 days later, I not only regained the 16 pounds, but he said I regained the 29 pounds that I needed to weigh. So God healed him from whatever was causing him to not be able to gain weight. He said that was exactly what a man my age was supposed to weigh to the pound. That is 169 pounds. Everyone told me I look so much better than they had seen than I did before when they saw me. And I do feel better than I have felt for 20 years. All of my nervousness is gone. So see, God delivered him from addiction, from some spirit behind bondage to cigarettes. Then God healed him in his body where he gained up the weight he needed to be. And he said also God healed his nervousness. He was somebody that had a nervous condition. It left him. He said, I actually have a better complexion. And best of all, during that time, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and have a much deeper experience with the Lord than ever before. My fast was shorter than many of my other brothers and sisters But someday I hope to take a 40-day fast, as it certainly was a glorious experience to fast 14 days. He said, people do not know what they're missing. So fasting is an awesome thing. You don't hear about it very much in America. But is the American church, by and large, a really Holy Ghost revival, powerful church? No. If people would humble themselves back down to repentance and prayer and fasting and doing right, we would start seeing more power in America and the church again. It's the absence of the ABCs of Christianity is what it is. When you fast, when you pray, when you give, if we would get back to that. Well, Lord, I thank you for this time as we're going to start our fast in a few days. Lord, I pray, give us the grace. Lord, during the first couple of days, three or four days, help us just steal our hunger. Help us not be hungry. And Lord, help us just to go deep in prayer. Lord, that we're going to see breakthroughs. We're going to see miracles like we've never seen. You said that if we will fast and pray, we will call unto you and you will say, here I am. We will have your nearness. You said that we would ask you of things and you would do it. We'd have answered prayers. That your glory would fill our lives. That healing would come. 
there would be deliverance. And so, Lord, we thank you. We're expecting this. There's an expectation. And when we come together at the end of this, we want to consecrate our lives unto you. And we're believing you to deepen revival in River of Life, Lord. Lord, we ask you that things that have been sinful, things that have been fleshly, things that have been worldly, even things that's been of the enemy, let it come up in this fast to be cleared out like gold refined in the fire. We ask you to reach down in us and take out everything not of you by the roots and kill it. Lord, change us. Let us come out of this different than we went in. The struggles we had in the past, we don't have anymore. Lord, take it out of us. Take us deeper in Christ. Let revival deepen in our lives. Lord, I pray in this fast, people that need deliverance, maybe from spirits of infirmity, maybe from other things, Lord, things that they don't even realize are there, but Lord, let there be deliverance during this fast. Lord, let there be breakthroughs. Let there be healing in this fast. And Lord, as we come out, we're believing for radical change in this church. Lord, we thank you for it. We believe it. We expect it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So pray about what to do. And remember a couple things. When you pray, you may not see all the answers to your prayers during the fast. You're putting the seed in the ground, okay? But you have to believe God, it will come up. God has heard you. So like Daniel, keep praying and believing. And um, there was something else I was going to, but anyway.